it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. And this week we catch up with Ben Krause, currently in quarantine in Adelaide, having recently returned with his family from Austria, much later than he had hoped. We catch up to hear about the challenges he faced in getting back to Australia, as well as his experience of COVID in Austria. Ben also spent the last three months fairly productively commissioning and starting a new brewery in Austria, and we take a look at the craft beer trends that he saw there, as well as what he has noticed of the changing beer landscape here. There is talk of a new Lager Bridge Road is recently introduced, having discontinued its chestnut pilsner, and of course we discuss why pilsners don't get the love that some of us think they deserve. It's a great chat with one of our favourite and forthright guests here on Beer as a Conversation, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ben Krause, welcome back to Beer as a Conversation, or much more importantly, welcome back to Australia. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Good to be back, almost be back. I'm, I'm in uh, quarantine for another week at the moment uh, in a hotel room. Purgatory for your sins. But, uh, yeah, but well, you, you are. You know, you, you've got the family in a – is it a one-bedroom hotel or have you upgraded? I mean, it, what, it, it, it was initially a, uh, a one-bedroom hotel room, so five of us uh, in quite a small space with uh, beds in the living area and uh, no room to move, uh, no table to eat at. But uh, – we, we made some calls and sent some emails and uh, SA Health let us move to another hotel that has a, um, I don't know what, an interconnecting room. So I'm actually separate from the kids for this phone call. They have their, their own uh, two-bed bedroom and we have a, a, a dining table where we can all sit at and uh, two bathrooms. So it's <laughs> like a, a nice apartment to, uh, to be locked away for Christmas in. And I don't want to make light of it, but um, you know, when you see what's happening, particularly in New South Wales at the moment, maybe you're in the safest place. Yeah, yeah. Who knows? As long as we don't have to do another two weeks when we get out of here. We <laughs> we had planned to uh, to drive home uh, for, to Victoria through New South Wales for a little bit, but uh, that's definitely off the cards now. So uh, tell us a little bit about your journey home, because the, the last time uh, we, we caught up on uh, Beer as a Conversation, it was you and I catching up at Brow in uh, Nuremberg, and uh, a lot has happened since then. Yeah, quite a bit. I, th- I came back to Australia uh, uh, after that as well. So I was in uh, Nuremberg um, before flying home for a couple of weeks just to check back in with the team. And I think I came to Adelaide at the time and, and also Melbourne and did some events. Um, and then had plans to be back for Hopfest in, uh, in March, uh, which was subsequent, subsequently cancelled. Um, or that or um, the next thing on the, on the radar was Good Beer Week in Melbourne. And then returning with the family in August of this year. But uh, all of that fell through as COVID uh, took over. Uh, and we had our family flights cancelled, I think, four times. Wow. Um, and and even before we got on the last flight a week ago, we were really unsure. We, we it was the third time we packed down the apartment and put everything into a, a shipping container after a year of living abroad, and we, it was touch and go right up until until we got our boarding passes that uh, 
that we were actually going to get home. It had been cancelled on such short notice beforehand. It's just very living in limbo is not much fun at all. How did that go with, with the, running the business? Because I know that you've got a great team you know, at Beechworth running it in, in, in your absence, but obviously you would have had some plans to be back in August. And you know, did, well, did you have plans uh, you know, based on your arrival back in August that were you know, parked pending your arrival? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not so much in progress of the business, but my role and other people's roles and, and you know, strategic steps and everything um, were in place and, and would meet about them um, each time I was due to come home and, and the goalposts had shifts and things. There was some work there that got put on the back burner um, and I said, look, we'll, we'll pick this up. Everyone's very busy. We'll pick it up when I get back, um, but then only to find out a week later, hey, I'm not coming back and and the frustrating thing is when when you get one of those cancellations, it's not like uh, pre-COVID times where they say, look, there's a flight next week or there's a flight tomorrow. There was, uh, look, we don't know when there'll be a flight. It could be, this is as far back as August. It might not be until 2021, um, until our airline flies to Australia again, then find another airline. Um, airlines aren't giving money back on tickets, so you end up with money stuck in limbo everywhere and uh, and answers like that every time. And just, uh, yeah, just that, so so personal life, just being in limbo, the kids as well thought they had their last day of school before they had three months more of school um, and and projects and, and things that we've been working on at the brewery, just, um, I guess, moving back to a remote um, place rather than hands-on and, and working together. Having seen your, your, your life in Austria, it seemed like a fairly idyllic uh, place to be. What was the experience through uh, COVID this year? Initially, we had a really a really hard lockdown in March, um, just like probably like what Melbourne had uh, more recently. So stay at home, uh, no zero mixing with anyone outside your household. So so not go for a walk with one other person, just no contact with anyone outside your household. I think that was about a a month or five weeks. So initially, you weren't allowed you weren't allowed to be seen on a bike. I say you weren't allowed to be seen on a bike because you weren't allowed to be on a bike. Mm. Um, and and we live near some bike trails, so um, just make sure it wasn't seen. But you also weren't you also weren't allowed to to go uh, running away from like go for a run. You could go for a walk, and I think you could jog, but you weren't allowed to go off the path. So you couldn't go into a forest trail or anything like that. Though we're in a small regional community, and people live on the edge of the forest, you're going to walk in the forest. And that was on the basis that they didn't want anyone injured because if someone hurt their ankle or whatever, they would have to get in an ambulance and they were worried that they wouldn't have any medical uh, facilities available because they were worried COVID would blow up right. in March. And it, it, it worked really well and there was no COVID blow up. And um, I think it, it sort of gave people some confidence that COVID wasn't quite as bad as what they'd expected it might be in March. Um, and then uh, after that, things slowly uh, returned basically to normal. Firstly, um, you had to wear face shields, like masks in the supermarket, but not in in the in the open. Public transport's always been masks in Austria, I think, since since March. And then we had a really enjoyable summer in Europe. You know, everything opened up. Cross border travel was no problem. Um, pretty much everything that you could imagine doing in Europe was available and open to do. Um, it's just just with some strange token rules generally. There was, you know, you don't have to wear a mask here. Like for the cinema, for example, um, 
you i went to a, a launch of a friend's um short video about uh, skiing outdoors kids um getting out and doing adventure it was called it was called risk and fun so so the balance of allowing kids to take big risk in life and and the rewards that it gives you it's a really interesting film but the the launch there was 150 people uh, in the in the entryway to the uh, cinema drinking beers because in Austria, if you do anything, you you have beers there. Um, drinking beers, all standing up and having a great time. And then, okay, guys, come in. The movie's about to to begin. Um, you have to put on your mouth mask to walk into the cinema um, until you get to your seat where and the cinema is full. And then you take your mouth mask off. So you just saw lots of complacency because you had rules like that that just made no logic you know there was no sense you can stand and drink um within a meter of each other and you know in large groups and then but then when you file through the official facility mask on and then you just take it off when you sit down so that sort of drove i think a bit of complacency in europe um but yeah summer was great we we really got to enjoy ourselves and we made the most of it because we were planning to come home right at the end of july start of august so everything right let's make the most of this summer and we'll get back to australia you know, at the end of winter and, and get back into life there. Um, but then flights were cancelled, so we couldn't get home. Um, and then we were then we were stuck in, in uh, Europe for an extended period. First flight cancelled just a month, I think. I found a second flight after a month. Um, and then that flight was cancelled and we were told two to three months before we could get home. Um, and then at that point, I decided, well, I can't keep sticking it out in limbo so i i um i did know of a brewery that was being a brand new startup brewery that was being opened um about 30 k's away from where we were living um where it's a ski resort town where i spent most of summer mountain biking um so i gave the guys a call and said hey i've got two or three months and i need something to do um have you got any work do you want someone to help set up the brewery and so they said start monday and so i spent the last (laughs) three months uh the last three months before I came home, actually pretty much working full time as a brewer. So the the brewery was installed, and the the Italian guys who provided the equipment were were commissioning the brewery the the first week I started, and then I took over brewing um, up until last week. I was yeah running the running the brewery and production and staying away from the bottling machine. My <laughs> least favorite favorite job. Deliberately not learning how to run the bottling line. And, and what sort of style? So, so tell us a little bit about the brewery because, uh, you know, we, we see a lot of, you know, America, a lot of England. We don't see a lot of what's happening on the craft beer scene in, you know, sort of Germany, Austria, Switzerland um, and it, it, Italy over here. Yeah, you would have you would have seen at Nuremberg sort of the the you know the influence of German craft beer in the scene. It's it's been slow to catch on, but it seems to be uh, finding its way quickly through the established beer scene. Um, probably overrepresented at a place like Brauer in in Nuremberg, I would say, because the scale is very very small compared to you know other countries um particularly well, that you was know, the funny america thing. and australia yeah but that was a funny thing because i one of the um after brow uh nuremberg i went to uh went on to, and made sure i stopped in uh, in berlin because i figured that it's such a cosmopolitan part of germany that it would have a, a really good representation of what was happening in um, the, the the broader German uh, you know, brewing scene, and I went to the I can't remember the name of it offhand, but there was a, just one bar that was everyone recommended as being the craft beer bar, and I was speaking to them, and they just have said that they couldn't get 
German craft beer because I they were probably buying beer from Romania and Czech and craft beer from there. That's what I generally find. Yeah. Um. So so there wasn't much on the on the German scene at all, and the ones that they said that there were, um, they just have said they're so small that you just can't get them, and it's uh, obscenely expensive. Yeah. Well, Austria in terms of craft beer is pretty similar. There there seems to be um a, I've seen some push from some of the bigger brewing companies to introduce some um, craft beer, so pale ale or hopped-up wheat beers into the market. But where where I was living is Tyrol. It's, you know, the most conservative part of Austria by by a long shot, Um, regional, traditional, conservative sort of folk and and everything in, in what they do is embedded in tradition. So it wasn't a huge one for craft beer. Um. So yeah, that the the scene. Uh, I've collaborated with a, a a craft brewer probably an hour and a half from where I live. Uh, lived in Austria, but I've been and, and brewed with them twice, and I sort of sought them out because they seem to to be for me. I didn't get to see every craft beer in Austria, but for me, that those guys were leading the scene in Austria. Some really cool guys. They've travelled a lot. Um, they have a great take of, um, I guess. Uh, U.S. or Scando craft beer, but then also they're they're honing in on using local ingredients and finding ways to link tradition to what they're doing. So trying to create their own Tyrolean version of craft beer, which I really really admire. Um, that I often find that's the great thing about Italian craft beer is their ability to to create their own thing rather than just replicate the U.S. scene. Talk to us about what a uh, Tyrolean craft beer or you know adopting you know a, a localized version of craft beer for for the Tyrol um, looks like probably uh, sourcing local hops and local grain um, so so uh, partnering with the farm the Birol, the one that not who I worked for who I collaborated with um, they have uh, a farm directly behind the brewery they're in their breweries are like a what would you call it like a, a farmhouse in Austria that's in a small village. Um, and all behind the village is uh, a field. So they're getting barley grown in the fields behind them, um, looking to do fruited sours using local wild fruits. Um, I guess just having that storytelling from local as well, but yeah, locally sourced ingredients, also making a, a hellas for, for, I wouldn't say for the locals, but an easier um, accessible beer for for people in the regional area. They, they do a great... Uh, IPA called the Padavan. I think they call it a pale ale, but um, it's you know, it's a hazy beer. Before before hazies were a thing, it, it's it's always been hazy just because of the nature of the beer, um, loaded with citra and a, and a real hop bomb. But um, that probably doesn't appeal to to many of the traditional locals. So they've made a Hellas that uses Bavarian Bavaria Mandarina um, to have a bit more aroma and and a bit more going on than, than a traditional hellas as well as using local local grains to to uh to brew it as well so it's just sort of that that storytelling and and trying to find angles of showing that they use local produce and and they can they can show those locals that this beer is made in your hometown and it has something to do with you know with your tradition even though it's not what you see as a traditional beer and the traditional beer is made hundreds of kilometers away probably with ingredients from everywhere there's probably been no real hop touch the sides of that beer whereas you know these guys can show these things are grown and farmed and 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 come from around here so i guess it's it's helping people understand that side of it 
How would we apply that thinking you know, if we wanted to look you know, at Australia? Because Australia is a, you know, not a globally significant, but certainly we produce a significant uh, amount of hops, um, particularly down the road from Bridge Road um, or you know, down the road from uh, Beechworth. We're also you know, high-quality uh, grain growers. Um, you know, could we look, you know, if we focused on using Australian grains and Australian hops, um, would we eventually evolve an Australian beer style, do you think, trying to sort of find a balance amongst using those ingredients? Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if we'd find a – if that would lead to finding an Australian beer, beer style, but generally, but definitely, um, I don't know, get, get people to – to find a better connection to to those small breweries, you know, whether it be to, about ownership or, or or things along those lines, is just always looking for that extra reason for people to consider buying, you know, independent or locally made beer. Local doesn't seem too hard to sell at the moment, particularly post COVID. Locals sort of what sells. It's a challenge for a small brewery like uh, like Bridge Road Brewers in a in a regional area where your local community is is supportive but also population wise it's quite small um so trying to trying to grow a market mm. um, in other other areas is hard but you know i kind of think if you if you look at something like pack ale uh from from stone and wood you know that that is built on I don't know the malt base and and I'm sure they don't push it as local malt but it, it, it might as it might well be all Australian malt as well as, you know, Galaxy hops. That that's really a, a locally defined story and a style of beer that I don't think you see in too many other places outside of Australia. You know that that Pacific Ale, and you see now that uh, the people are free seem free to use the name Pacific Ale. It's become a style in Australia. So I would almost say that is. Um, something that's evolved from local ingredients and, and is now almost a recognised style in Australia. Sitting back, you know, from uh, Austria and watching what's been going on from afar, um, or admittedly with a, you know, one or two visits back, what, have, what strikes you most about what's happened in, in the Australian beer scene while you've been gone? I don't know. It's, it's been interesting to watch the rise of hazy IPAs. I think, I mean, it's, it's, everyone knows that there's no... You know, surprise, but the but the fast rise of of those styles, and and you know the the brewers who've um who've become known nationally through through the craft beer bubble spectrum. I, I wouldn't say nationally outside of the craft beer bubble, but probably listeners of these podcasts would know the brands that have have really come to the fore or you know increased uh, awareness nationally. So that would probably be deeds of one that are really strong. Um, the guys from uh, a range in Brisbane, uh, Mountain Culture. I think Banks might be another one. I never get to the, get to have these beers because I'm in <laughs> Austria and I don't get to have them. I just get to see through, you know, looking and and uh, following social media and seeing what people are into. So that's sort of been something that's been really interesting to me. Also, good news is I haven't heard much news yet of breweries having to pull up stumps or sell off their brand or you know or or totally hit the wall through covid so that's been you know there's a big worry that that many businesses and customers of of breweries so all the all the great bottle shops and bars and restaurants that support craft beer i'm sure there's some that are that have um you know had a a, a terrible time and and 
and maybe have had to close business, but we've found um, really personally through the brewery really great um, support and a, and a really strong bounce back, stronger than we thought would be possible. You know, people people who've probably been struggling financially have paid their bills and want to keep moving forward and they want to keep up with paying their bills. We really thought, gee, all this money that's owing to us, we're not going to see it. People are just going to pull up shop and, and call it quits and we're stuck with all this bad debt. But that hasn't been the case. So probably those things, just seeing how resilient the industry's been, and I know how tight it's been for us and you know how, how much of a loss the year is, um, and thinking there are others that will be in a better situation, but there'll be plenty that will be in a worse, worse situation, and to sort of know how tough it's been and, and then see everyone you know, keep a positive face. Behind the scenes, it's probably less than positive, but positive face and, and move forward and, and um, keep progressing the industry. You know, it hasn't seemed to slow things. I'm sure it slowed lots of development, but but from the outside, it doesn't look to have. One of the stories we've heard um, recently, and uh, Claire wrote a story on uh, last week, that a lot of breweries that had switched production to packaged um, and had found a, a solid market for that are now finding it a little bit hard to devote production to kegs because of the success of the, of the package and it's sort of causing some supply issues. Um, is, is that the experience of, of Bridge Road? Did you have a big push to package or you were reasonably well um, available and packaged beforehand, I guess? Yeah, we were. I, I guess I'm not sure if that's how that works for everyone, but, but certainly um, we... We were, we are well set up for packaged. After I saw you in Nuremberg, we um we ordered a, a canning line, um so we have a, a reasonably high speed uh, canning line and bottling line in Beechworth. Um, so we the the canning line's been a real challenge for the for the brewery team to set up, and I think it the depot is still um manually manual manually being loaded at the moment. Oh, um, right. So the guy's probably not happy with me. I did all the ordering and things got slowed down. But uh, but yeah, we 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 are being pushed at capacity at the moment. We've sort of had this period of a, a massive lull in production and and people on uh, short hours and trying to keep things going. And also the challenge for us, um, which is sometimes hard for people to understand, is to keep people employed and and um, be able to pay those bills and keep things going that way. So. We, we have had some challenges keeping up, um, but we have done our best to, you know, weather the storm. So we knew lockdown is going to end at some point and um, we we looked at having all tanks full and all the beer fresh and ready to go that we could hit the ground running. Um, but there's only so much you can do at one time, so that has been a bit of a challenge. Kegs are, uh, you know, at this time of year anyway, kegs are a challenge to come by. There's always something that, that gets in the way, whether it's getting kegs back from venues or, or just realising we didn't have enough to begin with. Um, all those things are challenging each year, particularly in a business that's growing because just because you did it last year, if you add 10% onto what you did last year, there'll be a bottleneck that you didn't envisage or didn't realise even with the best planning. So, um I think maybe I can imagine that being more of an issue of breweries that were maybe brew publish models to begin with, move to packaging um, to get through through COVID and, and really got strength and growth through that and also started to pick up some kegs. And now what we've seen is, 
if I look at direct to consumer, so non-wholesale customers, uh, we've seen a real slowdown in that purchasing as people get out and buy through their normal sales channels um, more often. And and then uh, obviously people drinking more beer in venue rather than in pack at homes drives up the demand for cakes as well. So I can see a real problem uh, if people were really geared heavily to say, okay, we're just going to keep selling all this packed beer through to Christmas. And then some of that changes, some of those consumers change from ordering from the brewery to the actually, I'm not going to buy beer and drink it at home. I'm going to go to the the pub or my favourite bar and and drink that same beer there. So then the demand switches to tap and, and you have to pivot and deal with it. Um, I did see something of that article, but I never read it about that struggle to keep up. And how about uh, beer styles? Because uh, you, I think last week you uh, or Bridge Road launched a lager. Yes. Although we, we have had uh, a lager in our range for God knows how many years. We had a chestnut pilsner for a long time. Yeah, which unfortunately by many consumers isn't recognised as a lager. Um, <laughs> you just but, want a lager, not a pilsner, mate. Um, <laughs> but on, on the weekend, I uh, uh, shared a photo that I'd seen. Uh, it was a beer shampoo made with lager and pilsner. So, oh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, so there's some nice, uh, you know, we, we understand the need for a lager um, in terms of consumer model. We did make a new beer. We didn't just rebadge the, the Pilsner and call it a lager, which um, which could have been <laughs> done quite easily. So um, we actually based the beer on, on some of the beers you would have enjoyed in Nuremberg. So if you get your hands on it, let me know what you think. I'll um, uh, seek it know, out. It's, it's sort of based around a Hellas, but at the same time, if you think of the, the, the conversation we had a moment ago about creating something out that was our own, we certainly didn't want to do a German or Bavarian Hellas made in Beechworth because we could do that and just try to emulate exactly what is available when you look at Augustina Hellas or Tigon Sea Hellas. I don't know. I've, I've drunk that much bloody <laughs> lager in the last year, mate. I, I don't... <laughs> Yeah, I've had them all, um, and and also working at at the brewery I did in Austria, the guys were new to beer, and um, I I did a heap of intensive tasting, and and we actually had a a whole suite of lab equipment on on loan from Anton Parr in Austria, so I did loads of testing on um, residual sugars and uh, just all sorts of stuff to to really nail down on what the the benchmark Hellas's are made up of and how they actually taste. Um, and, and for me, I guess I did want to try and make something that's the same as the German one. We really want to have our own Australian version of a regional lager, I guess is the best way I can put it. So the style Hellas for me is really, a, it's a balanced beer style. There's there's malt sweetness and bitterness and neither of those things dominate sometimes for me it's not a beer style i would drink because personally my my palate thinks it's too sweet and i really find those beers cloying i find it with a lot of i'm not going to say lagers i guess i have to say lagers. <laughs> lots of lots of the lots of the beers in the market market that are lager often um often for me often lack bitterness and end up being cloying and and sweet and i and i struggle to drink them beers that i see people saying oh you know I, I I can drink these all day. I I can drink two of them. And and you look at commercial the commercial beers you'd be handed at a wedding where no one's into craft beer. If I go to one of those weddings, I can have two or three. And I I just it's a style that just it's just it just rubs against me. I don't, I don't want to hate on it. I just can't enjoy drinking mm. that that type of beer. 
And Hellas, you know, a Bavarian Hellas is is crafted much better than a beer. Then you'd get it at, at a wedding. Um, you know, much, far few shortcuts taken to those price point beers, um, and, and probably much richer malt flavors, much more body. But there's a certain creaminess and balance where bitterness and and sweetness sort of tend to cancel each other out, and you end up with this really, what I see as defining a Hellas is this creamy balance that's happening, and it's a strange thing to to define an experience but you know it when you when you get one the bavarians probably claim it's perfection um <laughs> and it, you know it's it's for what they're trying to achieve it probably is but it, it isn't for me i'm i'm much more a pilsner man I, I i need the bitterness and the crispness or the cutting cutting through of i say crisp but i always pay out on that term the that hop flavor and and hop bitterness to cancel out the malt sweetness i don't i don't want it in balance in my lager um but that, that's me, So, but the, the style of beer we, we decided to make looking at what we thought consumers were asking for, and it was really really driven by the sales team saying, look, we've got a need for this beer. We feel that our customers who are craft beer customers um, wholesale would like to have a beer like this. So we looked at it. We spent months of uh, back and forth and planning and, and defining what it should look like and how it should taste um, and then went about working on a recipe. I, I worked on the recipe together with our head brewer, James, um, who's back in Beechworth. He's spent a heap of time in Germany, so he, he already knew what was going on with the style. We just had to, as a sales marketing and brewing team, agree on something and then move forward and, and come up with, with what we've come up with. Um, I think we're, we're on batch number three and there's a little bit of tweaking going on probably in how that hop hop profile cuts through but doesn't dominate that's probably what we're working on at the moment it, it, it's interesting to hear you sort of say you know it's determined by our sales teams and what the customers want which you know it, it's good business but i do think back to you know a time 15 16 years ago when craft beer almost had you know like this note of we're going to challenge people um to to, to drink us um and we have seen a moderation of brewers uh you know and, and I, I think of you know bling for example you know that, that really took people on a journey and challenged their taste buds but there is a, a need to actually look at what people want to drink you know do you have any observations around that yeah i guess you you have to find a balance between what you're trying to achieve and, and your reason for being and and also keeping business going so you know, the, while I'm definitely someone who who wants to keep challenging people and always mess with preconceptions, I I also can't afford to be stubborn and dig my heels in and claim that the consumer don't know what they're talking about because you end up with stale beer that that you know that you get some great we have some great loyal followers of even Chestnut Pilsner which I think is a is a fantastic lager. Um, it's just not lager. It, it is, you know, it's not seen as lager because mm. it's called chestnut pilsner, um, which is unfortunate, but that's just how it is. Um, the style of beer is a little bit different to the lager we've released as well, which is probably more of a crowd pleaser. But, yeah, there's, there has to be um, a balance between, you know, trying to challenge consumers and give them a great new experience and also um, – Giving giving the customers what they want, and it's not always true. When I say consumer or customer, I'm not necessarily talking about the end consumer. I'm also talking about um, the wholesale customers. So, although um, the end consumer might actually think oh, I I want to uh, drink a really um, bitter, challenging pilsner, like um, a German, a proper German pils, which I think for 
the market is probably more hoppy than what people actually, the general public actually want in a lager. Um, I find, you know, when I was in Germany and I drank a lot of, looked at lots and lots of pilsners next to each other, the bitterness is really confronting and, and I'm, I'm into it, but I can see when someone in Australia walks up to a bar and says, I want a lager, that's, that's generally not what they're after. Something that bitter is really, you know, when you talk about bitter beer in Australia, like Melbourne bitter or Vic bitter, they've, they're not bitter at all and they've got <laughs> nothing on a, on a German pilsner. So people would be challenged by that. Um, yeah, so, so a wholesale um, pub customer or bar customer um, also has to think about the volume of, of, of tr- or the number of drinks they sell. So alcohol percentage comes into it and also how, how beers move through the line. So it might, they might be willing to take a risk on one of their taps on a beer that's a slow mover, but at the same time, they, they want to make sure that people, if a beer is super challenging, they don't want someone to come in and just have one drink and, and sit around for an hour. They think of their business model where, hey, in that hour, we'd like people to have two or three drinks. And actually, we're going to have to wait the, the tap line up a little bit. You know, the ideal craft beer bar doesn't need to do that, but, it, but the broader um, offering in Australia and, and craft beer and pubs, um, they have to find a balance of things that they think will move well and sell well and keep the customers happy as well. So there's all those balances going on in the background. Pilsner has been a bit of a recurring theme on, on the podcast this year as we've spoken to. You know, a number of my favourite Pilsners have been discontinued in favour of um, lagers along the lines you've described. What is it about Pilsners that, uh, you know, I, I get this feeling that they're too challenging for people who just want a lager, as you say, but not challenging enough for people who, you know, are uh, right in the craft beer bubble. Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. But yet those people in the craft beer bubble and even those outside of it um, would, what do you say, wax lyrically about uh, the time they went to the Czech Republic and drank, <laughs> uh, drank you know, they would all, and, and you know, I, I went to Prague this year and, and spent a few days in bars there drinking the local beer, um, the mainstream local beer, and all the small breweries' local beer and their craft beer things. And and uh, my conclusion was, if I put this these beers on tap without people knowing it's a it's a Czech pilsner from Prague, people would be really challenged with this beer and probably not enjoy them as much as their their memory tells them they they enjoy them. Um, so it's all about you know the experience and the place. And there's so many other things happening uh, when when someone's has a memory of that style. And I, and I really think you know that. Some of the my favourite um, pilsners that, that I had in Czech, they would be some of them would be considered faulty, and you know, there's lots of diacetyl and things <laughs> going on. But but that's a complexity. It's like the um, the lagers of Nuremberg. There was there were some really interesting lagers going on there, but some of them would be quite challenging. There's almost this strange farmhousey lager thing going on, and and not that they were feral or anything. They just had a really different level of complexity and texture and things that people who who just walk up to the bar and the thinking lager in their mind probably wouldn't appreciate i guess that's the easiest way i can i can put it forward but for someone who's into complexity and flavor and and you know something with subtle nuances um would really be into so yeah i don't i don't know pilsner i i'm seeing I'm sure we'll see a, a revival of Pilsner. It seems that uh, those brewers I mentioned before that put out hazy beers before, you know, as their big thing, will will also offer a, a light. I think they were calling them crispy boys or whatever they, <laughs> crisp as, um, offer that. And and people who are fans of those brands will be right into it. I, I haven't had any of them to to make my own judgment. 
Um, but we'll see a, you know, a switch or, you know, someone saying, oh, I've been drinking hazies all week or I've been drinking hot bombs. I just want to have a, uh, a nice, uh, more balanced beer that isn't too one-dimensional, I guess, or too driven by one single flavour. I'm not saying that hazies are one-dimensional. They, they certainly balance texture and, and hop aroma and flavour, and the best ones are extremely well-balanced. Um, I, th- I think one thing I note, though, in the craft beer world, um, being obvious is much more appreciated uh, in terms of a uh, number of consumers than being uh, nuanced and balanced and and uh, and and textual and subtle. You know, if 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 there's a fruit sour that and and, and within that craft beer bubble, you want it to be revered and appreciated. That fruit sour has to be strikingly obvious. The colour has to be strikingly obvious. The, the aroma has to be, you know, dominated by that fruit. Um, as does the flavour. The beer still has to be good and in balance, but if it's a subtle integration of um, of the fruit or, or the flavour, um, it is often less appreciated. There's a, there are fewer people that appreciate this, the subtle integration and more people that really want that obvious recognition. And, and I use that as a point for why I feel um, uh, Stone and Wood um, Pacific Ale is so popular. When you smell that beer, there is it is obvious that it is tropical and hoppy and you can say passion fruit and and know it. There, there's an obvious aroma that everyone who can smell, who doesn't have COVID and their, their senses still work, <laughs> um, that's something that's really obvious. And it's something that, you know, I've got some knowledge I can, uh, and we have it in common if, we, if we're having a beer together, we can both smell that. There's no nuance subtly that I, that I need to, understand it's you know it's obvious and and i think that gives gives the beer and the consumer some great confidence so um yeah i think well crafted pilsners has subtleties also strong bitterness but there's some subtleties in in the skill in in pulling that off that that just might not be appreciated by a broader audience and if it's not being sold enough if it's not popular enough then a brewery has to discontinue it you know the 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 liquor chains won't put it on the shelf if it doesn't move Bars won't put it back on tap if it took, you know, two weeks to move a, a keg of, of a of a pilsner, um, and that's how the market, you know, runs things. Can I say that that was a far more uh, astute uh, or, or kinder explanation for why people don't like pilsners, but they do gravitate towards the current crop of hazies than I've ever been able to give myself <laughs> yeah it, i mean hazies are obviously hoppy they you can really discern you know it's a it's a whack in your face of all those things and and if it's a whack in the face of all the things you love then that's excellent and you've you've got a beer that you can really love and and enjoy well i, I would often go the next step and say that they're enjoyed by less mature um palettes <laughs> i'm not going to say that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why I was congratulating you on the on, on the dance that you did in, in explaining it so beautifully. Um, but, but talking about uh, your suppliers, for example, oh, sorry, your your wholesalers, you know, being your customers and uh, customers and you know giving the customers what they want. Do you think that um, customers of uh, Bridge Road Brewers may want to sell to it's sometime in twenty twenty one? I'm sure there probably would be. <sighs> yeah, and it's something that that has crossed the table in discussions, but. Um, between the the brewing team, the sales team, marketing team at, at the brewery, it's, it sounds like we've got a massive team. But there's there there are there, there are people in each of those departments that look at it, and we've looked at Celsius. I I th- I've never had a Celsius 
ever in my life. Um, so I'm interested in what exactly understanding more. I've looked into what they are and how they're made, but actually tasting them and, and drawing my own conclusion. I do personally, I do wonder where I know it's been proven in the States, but I, I also think the States is a, is quite a different market. You know, they're, they're calorie counters. Um, they understand what that means. I think we have a really bad understanding of um, what calories are in Australia. Pure blonde is a, is a great example of that. You know, people don't, don't understand that calories are in alcohol in an alcoholic beverage. That's where the majority of the calories are lying. I see people leaning towards it, maybe for some perceived health benefit, um, which is which I find really strange. Um, tap water, if you want to drink healthy, just drink water from the tap. But, uh, I'm with you. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't get any easier. But there's no money in that, so no one's going to market that. I don't know. Have you bought um, a four dollar bottle of uh, tap yeah, water? In, you know? Yeah, that I'm I'm not talking about water in a bottle. I'm talking water from the tap. Um, <laughs> own your own bottle and uh, fill it from the tap. There's no money in that for anyone, except for the person selling the bottle. You know, an insulated bottle might be the thing. It gets you over the line. Um, so, yeah, it's been something that's discussed. I don't know how it fits into things for us. Um, it'll definitely be something we discuss going forward. Uh, all our tanks are full and we're unable to uh, to have our full range of beer 100% of the time, although we have a huge range of beers at the moment. So uh, unless, unless we've uh, got a big gap in our tanks and... And the market is slowing down enough. It probably isn't something that we're considering at the moment, but I can totally understand if a brewery has extra extra production space and they, they need to pivot and get ahead of a market that they would get into that and find, you know, there's some commonality between the beer industry and the seltzer industry and, and move into that area as well. But- um, I know I know. personally we, we've struggled to move our cider, for example. It sells really well at the venue, but... As a beer salesperson, um, your realm is really beer. So I'm interested in how that model works. When you, if you're a, a you know, a, going to a, a a bar and you want to sell a portfolio of beer, the bar owner has seen ten sales reps this week, and he was he'd had enough by number three. Um, and then you're going to pitch your pale ale, your IPA, your new lager. And by the way, we've got a seltzer and a cider as well. I wonder how that conversation goes and if how you focus on multiple things. I think the seltzers that will do well will be standalone brands or they will be a model that I think I see Stone and Wood using where they branch out with something like Fixation as their IPA. So it's another brand um, and then that team can focus on that. So I think we'll see. And I'm sure that's what's happening. You've got these these brands that aren't clearly associated as a brewery brand, but they're definitely from a brewery, but but perhaps have their own sales force and their own marketing angle to separate them from the the beer brand side of things. But what does something like, you know, when you look at the um, techniques that are involved in making something that is clear yet flavoured, um, which is what the seltzer drinker wants, and, you know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, enhanced brewing techniques that once upon a time you know when uh the, the the craft beer promise could be expressed through you know malt water hops and yeast you know that, that a number of breweries had on their shirts or you know there was um the brewers american brewers association definition of what was craft beer which was you know traditional methods and the methods for making a seltzer certainly aren't that traditional uh thing 
do, do, do you think that there is some uh, erosion of the promise of craft if breweries embrace, you know, what, what is essentially advanced food science to, to make um, a particular product? Yeah, I don't know. I think personally, I don't, I don't know enough about the market, but I think people who are really into those themes in craft beer um, and they're really into craft beer and, and crafting and that sort of thing aren't really going to be the kind of people that are drinking much seltzer. And the people that are going to be drinking seltzer probably are people that may not care about that crafting and wholesome and, I don't know, that, that essence of brewing or tradition of brewing. That's my guess. There'll be some crossover, but I think they're two different markets. They're, you know, I kind of feel that seltzer is in the world of two dogs, um, alcoholic cider from that I used to steal from footy club <laughs> when I was 15 um, after training. That, 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 you know, that alcoholic hard lemonade yep. I, or West Coast cooler is probably the other, the other realm I see it fitting into. It, it's the new version of that. And I never felt that that was for the sophisticated craft beer drink or the, the person that's really into provenance and, and story and and but and, you didn't see wineries, yeah, you know, like recognised wineries bringing out a West Coast cooler um, as a as a brand extension or setting up a secondary business. That certainly that wasn't my memory. You you, you didn't have um, wineries that were based on yeah. You had these wine based uh, UDL things. I don't know where they were coming from. Yeah, I don't know. And I guess in, if I look at the wine industry, um, small format prosecco, moscato. That realm, if you look at uh, innocent bystanders, Moscato in a can, I guess that fits that West Coast cooler realm of things. And the other thing that that fits it for me, that I'll get shot by all the distills of the world, is um, <laughs> is gin and tonic. I really feel the the modern gin and tonic drinker would probably, if you went back to when West Coast cooler was a hit and looked at the demographic of of people that a uh, West Coast cooler was aimed at, um, gin and tonic would fit. Squarely in that in that lifestyle and market that, that it's aiming for, and but I don't understand where that seltzer market is. I haven't looked at it enough. I haven't been involved in it enough in Australia. Well, we might park this because I know you've got uh, kids that are probably getting a bit antsy. Uh, yeah, in, yeah, I'm in, getting a bit worried about that. In, in a small room, and uh, give you a chance to explore the uh, wide world of seltzers before we, we, we pick it up. Yeah, no worries. Sounds like a plan. I've got to drink one first. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking, and I, I won't offer to send you a care package because I'll. Uh, I, I, I know that there'll be other things you'd be liking to try. But anyway, mate, exactly. welcome back to Australia. Very excited. Uh, all the best getting through um, the, the the next week, and we're recording this on the twenty first, so you will still be in. Uh, uh, isolation during Christmas. So we'll all be thinking of you and, and, and your family as you uh, celebrate Christmas and hopefully uh, in 2021 we can get down and have a beer in the brewery very soon. Yeah, let's let's hope. I, I, I was looking forward to uh, get around the country and, and visit some places and bars that I, I haven't seen for quite some time, only through social media, looking longingly at the places I'd like to go. Um, but after this week, who knows when uh, when that'll be, but we'll just have to make the most of it until till things can be somewhat normal again. Well, hopefully when we can travel, it makes having a beer with our friends all the more special. Yeah, it definitely will. Well, Ben, Merry Christmas uh, to, to you and uh, congratulations uh, to the whole team at Bridge Road and really hoping that 2021 sees you go uh, from strength to strength. Cheers, mate. Thanks very much. Thanks for, thanks for the call. Have a good Chrissy.
and that was Ben Krause. I know you joined me in wishing Ben and his family a very Merry Christmas in a small hotel in Adelaide. His Christmas gift from me will be a Yeti mug that we give to all of our guests and his will be awaiting his return in Beechworth. Finally, to all of you, thank you for your support, reviews, emails, corrections, opinions, suggestions and, well, for just listening to this podcast. Merry Christmas. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by our good friends at Cryer Malt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryer Malt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. They are your premium brewing partner and they are our proud sponsors and we thank them for all of their support for yet another year of Beer as a Conversation. 